Journey to Earth explores health, wellness, and the best ways to increase longevity through uncharted expeditions and adventures. My name is Mark DeLuca. I'm an explorer, researcher, and humbled to be called a technology leader. Here is the Journey to Earth podcast. To all of our loyal listeners, hello, and as always, thank you for tuning into the podcast. As you just heard with our new intro, we are shifting some of our focus for various upcoming episodes. The renaming of the podcast will align with that. So we are now officially the Journey to Earth podcast. Look, I'm going to say this. I really want to dive 10 questions deep with each incredibly fascinating topic that we will discuss. As for our mission afterlife research, that will continue. As a matter of fact, we've been working on a lot of different research behind the scenes, especially as it relates to quantum mechanics and quantum physics. So when the time is right, we will certainly share that research. This is really going to be an exciting opportunity, and I know that everyone will really enjoy the content. So with that being said, let's go ahead and kick off today's episode titled Cave Expedition. Okay, so before I go climb into a cave, I certainly want to obtain some basic factual information, especially as it relates to safety. Looking back, I've done some really fascinating and cool things, and hopefully throughout the rest of my life, I will continue to have the opportunity to do those exciting and cool things. However, cave exploration is simply something I have never done. I really know not too much about it except for some of the basic research that I've done so far. So to help me better understand, I've had the opportunity to link up with a gentleman by the name of Josh. Josh is currently an assistant professor of astrochemistry. His department that he teaches within is, of course, chemistry and biochemistry. Looking at his background, he has a bachelor in chemistry from the University of Kansas. He also has a PhD in chemistry from Purdue University, and he had the opportunity to be a NASA postdoctoral fellow at the Goddard Space Flight Center. Josh is also an experienced caver. So here's a little segment of a conversation that I got to have with Josh. So Josh, if I recall correctly, I believe you had previously said when we first connected that you've now been caving for about a year and a half, and you have a really interesting background. Would you share a little about your background with us? So at, at this point in my career, um, I'm a, an associate professor at the University of Northern Iowa. Um, my background is in astrochemistry, which kind of segued me into astrobiology because there's a, a lot of significant overlap between the two fields. Um, before coming to teach at the university, I worked at NASA over at Goddard Space Flight Center for a couple of years as a postdoc, and before that, a, a PhD studying the moons of Titan and the chemistry over there in the Saturnian system. So I've kind of gone from looking way out there into space to now burrowing down into ground and finding <laughs> same compounds in both situations. So that's kind of the, the line where I crossed between astrobiology and astrochemistry was a lot of the compounds I was studying out there in the solar system and the diffuse interstellar nebula 
are the same compounds that are driving the ability for life to thrive down in the deep caves. So with cave exploration, something that I am really interested in is seeing if we can find new microbes that could be used in medicine that therefore then could potentially save lives and change the world. Have you been successful in finding any new microbes with your research as of yet? Uh, that'd be a question for the microbiologist on our team. Okay. Um, we're, we're, still, we're still just in the, in the very early beginnings of our own microbiology studies, um, especially when you're dealing with getting, pulling out the microbes from whatever sediments and stuff you have them in, you've got to figure out what's going to be the best extraction protocol that gets rid of all the background. Um, some of these compounds that we find that are important for life also gum up the kit that you're using when you're trying to extract DNA. So there's, we've been going through a lot of trial and error just to get the right protocol for how do we extract DNA from the matrix that is the cave soil. Yeah. Now, I see here, Josh, that later on this week, you will be giving a talk at the Science Center of Iowa for a very fascinating subject, and that's the Wind Cave Collaboration Project that you are doing. I'd like to read the first or second sentence of the about the talk that is available here. In order to better understand the potential for life elsewhere in the solar system, it is important to understand the tenacity of life and the extreme limits where it can thrive. That's really interesting to me. Could you just briefly explain what you're going to be talking about? So a, a lot of what we'll be talking about is, is that we'll be looking at it from the, the scientific aspects, the detective aspects, um, especially with the right techniques, you can distinguish where water is now because you can just use your eyes but you can also follow the pathway of old water flows and try to track it where life may have existed. But then a lot of the talks also going to look at what is it like for going on these missions with me? I'm primarily a bunch of 18 to 21 year old college undergraduates as my research team. This is not a, a PhD producing project for me. This is teaching the undergrads what it's like to do field work as well. So, there's going to be a lot of stuff for this talk that's going to look at what are the undergrads experiencing, what are they learning, and how are they changing just in a two or three day trip underground. We're not underground for that whole time. We still come up at night, but just being in the cave for three days in a row and learning your skills and learning your stresses, it changes you as well. When, when I started caving two years ago, I was 50 pounds overweight and blood pressure and blood chemistry all over the place. Two years later, I've dropped the weight. I've gone off all the medicines that needed to stabilize me. And it's a complete 180 on my health just because I got into caving. So it, it's, it's a two-part story of both looking at what is the research doing, but also how is it changing the researchers who are doing the study as well. Well, hats off to you. That's very fascinating research that you and your team are doing. So let me ask you this. Here we are. Very soon, we will be going into a cave ourselves. What advice, primarily around safety, can you give us? Uh, from the cave aspect, definitely a good, trustworthy set of lights. Now, do you bring? Uh, so, I've talked to a couple different cavers. Do you bring? How many extra lights do you bring? Let me ask it that way. 
Uh, so I, when I'm doing my expedition lead, um, I've got the light on my helmet, and then I've got a full backup light, complete with headband and everything, and then two backup batteries for that light. And then I still carry a couple of more just super simple Velcro on lights, just in case any of my team members lose a lamp in the cave. That's exactly what I've been told. As you know, so most of the cavers that have been in the sport for a while have have recommended at least two or three, and absolutely make sure you have those batteries. Yeah, because especially um, the 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 irony of what I've found for backup lights that works great is those those little shop headband lamps that you can get at Home Depot for like twenty bucks. Slap on some industrial strength Velcro on the back of that, and you can stick five or six of those in your gear bag, and they weigh almost nothing. See, they won't exact... show you anything pretty, but if your results, if you get to those lights, you're trying to get out. You're not trying to stay in the cave. Yeah. Well, see, that's the exact type of information that I'm looking for, you know, as we prepare for our uh, expedition. But so now, do you ever take any type of oxygen meter that, that gives you an oxygen reading? Not for not for the cave that I've been in, because it, it's barometric. So it's continually refreshing its air constantly. Okay. Uh, and, and I've only gone wild caving in that cave at this point, but so, for, for other caves, I know there's a risk of that, so. Sure. Well, that was a very good conversation that I had with Josh. The conversation continued lots of really good information that we were able to take with us into the cave. So with that, Josh, thank you very much for chatting with us. Our journey will take us to the deepest room of the cave. We are in pursuit of exploration and adventure. Some of the most powerful life lessons can be found on trips like this. We're also conducting research that will analyze microbes found in the cave, the overall cave health, and artifacts from ancient civilizations. Remarkably, there are many locations right here on planet Earth that remain undiscovered and unchartered. What secrets can be found upon discovering these hidden worlds? Take, for example, a newly discovered microbe and how it has the potential to save lives and change the world when applied to medicine. From the underground, we will climb to the summit of an incredible mountain and take in everything that the outdoors has to offer. The days and hours leading up to this expedition, we watched the weather closely. There was a chance for winter weather, and when in the mountains, weather patterns can change from good to bad in a moment's notice. It is also important for two reasons. The first is that severe weather can make the roads leading to the cave impassable. Second, if you are already at the cave, getting out may be impossible. We had been in constant communication with our guide, who advised that the temperature and weather patterns did not align with severe winter weather. With all of that information, we decided that it was safe enough to continue with our journey. Arriving in the mountains, we walked on a small path less than a foot and a half wide toward where the cave is located. The path is next to one of the main transportation roads on the mountain, and to the other side a steep drop to the valley below. Soon enough, we reach our destination where a rope is securely anchored and tossed down into the valley. We use the rope to help guide us down the steep hill and find ourselves at the entrance to the cave. The cave's entrance is just big enough for a human to fit inside. 
Each of us follow single file sliding on our backs through the initial passageway into the cave. After roughly 20 feet, the cave opens into a narrow passageway that you can stand up in. Very soon, we find ourselves at a five-way tunnel intersection. We all look at the cave map that was designed by geologists back in the late 70s. We decide to walk down into one of the main tunnels. The passageway is large enough where we can stand up straight. The width, though, is maybe less than three feet. We enter into one of the first main rooms. It is here that we each turn off all our lights. We take in what complete darkness looks like outside of any light pollution. It is incredibly surreal. We continue on through several different tunnels until we reach another room. This one called the Bone Room. I joke, saying that learning of the room's name when very far underground in darkness is not the best idea. The room got its name because a small animal's bones were discovered in the room and still sit on one of the boulders. Looking around, we discover something absolutely fascinating. Looking at the cave ceiling, we find seashells everywhere. We are at least five hours from the nearest ocean. How could this be possible? To understand this, we have to go back 300 million years ago. The entire area was under an ocean. Throughout time, the ocean receded and surged repeatedly. Seashells, as they do today, bury deep into the ocean seabed with time. Each time the ocean receded, fresh water was introduced to the area. The fresh water reacts with limestone found within the ground and dissolves it. This is how many of the first caves were created. Many of these seashells are very well preserved and date back millions of years. Finding something like this provides important geologic research information. We navigate our way to the lowest known passageway of the cave. This space is less than two feet wide and has a steep opening going up to the cave ceiling. It's at this point that I begin to collect samples of the cave's water and soil. Each sample is collected in a tube and securely closed. We push forward until we reach an area that requires us to rock climb back up to the second level of the cave. This area is respectfully named the elevator shaft. We each take turns climbing to the top. It is challenging and brings about reward once we all make it to the top. As we traverse the cave, we find icicle-shaped formations everywhere. These are called stalactites and form by precipitation of minerals from water dripping through the cave ceiling. Studying stalactites can help us learn about the region, climate change, and much more. Right now, there are too many terminal diseases that have no reliable cure. We also see more antibiotic-resistant superbugs every single year. Within caves, microbes that have never seen the surface of Earth can be found. Finding new microbes could save lives and change the world. This is factual information. We see that certain cave bacteria easily kill superbugs when they face off. So if this is true, then why don't we invest in cave exploration right now? The answer is that pharmaceutical and other companies do not want to invest because it's not guaranteed to turn a profit. The reality is, is that we need to explore these uncharted areas. The future of humanity likely depends on it. The samples that we collect in the cave will be analyzed and 
details will be updated when we have the information. Now, I must also talk about the dangers of cave exploring and why all precautions must be taken. Caves are home to many different types of wildlife that could carry deadly diseases. I talked earlier about how water seeps into the cave from above and forms stalactites. The saturation combined with humidity can become a breeding ground for very dangerous bacteria and parasites. Look, caves are this mysterious frontier that need to be explored. We see just how powerful many of these microbes can be in overcoming antibiotic-resistant superbugs. Millions of lives could be saved with just one discovery. History has the potential to be rewritten upon newly discovered information being found. Information that is buried away in uncharted areas. One of the best places to begin the search is in caves. This research was an introduction to see if bigger expeditions will take place in the future. I can answer that right now with a firm yes. If you have any experience or interest in helping with our cave research, please reach out to myself. I can be found on LinkedIn. I can also be contacted uh, via email. I'm going to put the link to both LinkedIn and email in today's uh, podcast show notes. So again, if you have experience or interest, please reach out. Again, I want to thank everybody for tuning in. I really hope you enjoyed this episode and look out for the next ones to be available in the very near future. Cheers.